good to be together tonight. We're going to open up the word in just a minute. Before we do that, I'm going to pray. Is that all right? I hope so. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, for bringing us here to share these, these moments together. Grateful that we can encounter you, um, that we can meet with you. We pray, Lord, that as we open up your word together, that you'd help us to listen to you, help us to hear the words of your son Jesus tonight as we, as we encounter him together. We love you. Thank you for this time. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, do you need a Bible tonight? Of course you do. Uh, if you'd like a Bible, Andrew's got Bibles. Thanks, Andrew. Raise your hand if you, if you want one. I'm excited about our time together tonight. Um, have you ever had a defining moment in your life? Of course you have. We've all had, we've all had moments that are that are different and that are unique. You know, not every moment, you might be like, every moment's a defining moment, but that's not true. You don't mean that. There's, there's some moments that are different. There's moments that are unique. And um, sometimes we don't know what to do with them. And I would say probably that we get a handful of these in our lives. I, I was thinking about that theme this week. I was thinking of a, of a couple in my own life. Um, almost 10 years ago to like the day... I had a defining moment. I, my wife and I found out that we were going to have our, we were pregnant with our first kid, Judas. This is about 10 years ago. I was, um, so just to, I guess, to rewind a little bit, I was 24 years old. So not as many 24-year-olds having babies these days, but this, so I was a little bit young. I was, um, I was, I was a little bit freaked out. And if you knew me back then, you knew that. Some of you didn't know me back then. And, uh, and this was, a, I, knew, I knew that my life was changing. I knew that there was something drastic changing in my life, but I had no idea what to do. I was like, what am I doing? We've had moments like that. that some, sometimes our defining moments, though, are, are actually what I would call divine moments in our lives. I'll never forget a moment. This is, this is 13 years ago. Um, I was living in Orange County, California, and I had heard that a, a popular speaker named Brennan Manning, have any of you ever heard of him? He was speaking at a, um, at a church in Orange County where, where I lived, and um, I, uh, I was a fan of his books, and they, they really spoke to me at this particular time in my life, and kind of the heartbeat of his, of his writings, he would say, is a deep awareness of himself he, said, he says, my deepest awareness of myself is that I'm deeply loved by Jesus Christ. And he says, I've done nothing to earn it or deserve it. And every one of his books basically had that kind of theme at the core of it. Had a huge, um, it was something I was very intrigued by, I guess I'll say it that way. Probably something that I agreed with, but it wasn't something, the, the way that he talked about the love of Jesus it wasn't something that I'd experienced personally. And so I heard he was speaking, and I, and I went by myself to this, um, to this church. I remember it was a Korean church. I was the only non-Korean there besides Brendan Manning. <laughs> and uh, 
But there I was. And he spoke for about an hour. This was, this was kind of near the end of his life. And so he was, he, was just, he was really old. And he had a really thick accent. I, could, I was like leaning forward the whole time. I was like, I can't even tell what you're saying. But I knew he was talking about the love of Jesus. And he was talking about our need to receive that, our need to believe that there was nothing that we could do to, to earn it or deserve it, but that it was simply given to us by grace. And so he basically, I guess what I'm saying is he preached the gospel that night. And so um, at the end, of, at the end of, the, of his talk, he, I'll, never, I'll never forget these moments. At the end of his talk, he, he said, I'm going to invite you to simply... Um, Say, say a prayer. He's like, I invite you to kneel down at your chair and, and, and simply pray that you, would, that you would experience and encounter the love of Jesus. And, uh, and then here's what he did. This is, this is, I think this is funny. Maybe you will. He, he just said, I'm going to invite you to do that. And then he, he picked up a, like a boom box, like a tape player. You know what I'm talking about? Like a tape player with the speakers in it. I was like, I'm a worship leader. I'm like, I cannot believe this is happening. Isn't there somebody who could play the guitar anywhere in the room? In fact, I would have loved to play the guitar in that moment. But he picks up a boom box and he turns it on. And I think it's like a 1980s Rich Mullins worship song. And he's wearing a lapel mic and he takes the lapel mic off and he puts the mic on the speaker and just sits there perfectly comfortable with the moment. And like, this is like, if you're trying to manipulate a spiritual moment, this is the worst way to possibly do it. We're like, this is a while ago, but we're, we're like well into the iPod era. And he's got the boom box. And there I am. And I kind of reluctantly uh, knelt at my chair. And I, I simply just prayed, Lord, help me to receive your love. And, and so... It's, it's actually kind of hard even to this day to talk about this moment. I completely lost it with the sound of like a bad recording playing through a boombox in the background for the next uh, may, maybe three hours. I, I felt, I encountered, I sensed that, that the love of Jesus was actually for me. That it just a huge, huge moment. I, I like came to my senses, I guess, about three hours later. I'm like alone in the room and nobody's there. And I got up and I walked out. It was an incredible moment in my life. I didn't really know what to do with it. I didn't know how to respond to it exactly, but I knew that something had changed in, profound, in a profound way. And, and here's the truth. Sometimes... Sometimes God breaks into our lives in unexpected ways. And, and when he does that, he gives us, I believe, he gives us exactly what we need to follow Jesus. And what we get tonight when we open the, the scriptures together is we get to witness that happen in the lives of three of Jesus' disciples. Are you excited? Yeah. I hope you are. You better. This is Luke 9, chapter 28, or Luke 9, uh, verse 28. We'll read through verse 36. Listen to this. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James, and he went up on the mountain to pray. 
And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who had appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. This is God's word. So no doubt this is, this is an epic moment in the Gospels. If you can imagine the disciples um, later on after this sitting around the campfire and they're like trading stories about things that they've seen Jesus do, this one would trump all of them, almost assuredly. But, but one of the things that we see in this passage is that the disciples, as, as I said at the end, they don't even know what to do with what just happened. And so if you're reading these words tonight from the Gospel of Luke and you're a little confused and a little perplexed, you're in good company with the ones who actually experienced this. They didn't know what to do. But I think one of the things, something that happens throughout this text is that Luke, who's, who's writing this gospel, who's building this case for who Jesus is, is he gives us, I think, four interpretive keys uh, that'll help us understand what is actually happening. Yes, four, not three. It's a different night. There's four points. <laughs> and the first interpretive key is this. It's the prayer of Jesus. Jesus is praying. We, we see that twice in the story. It, it, it goes to lengths to, to make sure that we understand that Jesus is praying. And, and the truth is, is that Jesus knows what they need. He knows what these disciples need. You know, one of the reasons why this, this passage, which is called the Transfiguration... Um, it's in um, all of the synoptic gospels. One of the reasons why we don't always understand it is because we isolate it from what's happened leading up to it. So I'm, I'm thankful that we at River West, we preach through books of the Bible because we can see what's happening leading up to a story. And so last week, if you were with us, um, we, we heard some really tough and challenging sayings from Jesus. Jesus, last week in our, in, our, in our teaching, Jesus said that the Son of Man must suffer and die and rise again. Do you remember that? He says to his disciples, he starts saying things like this to them, and you're going to have to take up your cross and follow me. Now, we're used to language about the cross um, in our day and age, and we have a big one on the stage up here, but that would have been horrifying for the disciples to hear and, and confusing. What do you mean we're going to take up our cross? That's reserved for the worst of the worst. What are you, what are you talking about, Jesus? So he's saying things like that. He's, he's telling them that they can gain the whole world and forfeit their soul. He's talking about losing their life for his sake. This is really hard. What Jesus is telling them, it, it feels daunting 
And, 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 and these disciples are probably starting to ask questions like, are we, what's happening in our lives? Are we going to make it? And Jesus knows what they need. And he's praying for them. You know, Jesus, Jesus praying is a, is a pretty um, common theme throughout the Gospels. And even in particular, Jesus praying on the mountain. Jesus has prayed on the mountain before, and this was at a significant point in the story. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus goes up the mountain, and he prays there. It tells us he prays there all night. Do you remember this? Jesus goes up on the mountain, and he prays all night. And when he comes down from the mountain, he chooses the apostles. It's a really interesting moment. Jesus is up on top of the mountain, and he's praying. But, but what is he praying for? He's praying for his disciples. And that prayer leads him to choose the 12 who would become these apostles that would, he would use to build his church. And here Jesus is again, and he's, he's praying on the mountain. But did you notice that in our story tonight, Jesus takes his disciples with him? That's a really important thing that's going on in our passage. The disciples aren't left down at the bottom of the mountain. In particular, Peter, James, and John are brought up with Jesus, and Jesus is praying for them. This is an important thing to see, um, even as we continue into our, into our passage. In, in, uh, in Luke 9, just, just the verse before the ones that we read tonight, in verse 27, Jesus says this, he says, I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. That's the verse that is right before our passage, which starts in verse 28 by saying, eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and James and John and went up the mountain to pray. Jesus says, some of you are going to see something that's going to blow your mind. And then right after that, he takes these three up. And I think the reason why he's doing that is because Jesus knew for some reason, and we, and we don't quite know why yet, but that Peter, James, and John, I think uniquely, these three, they needed an encounter with Jesus that would sustain them through all that was going to come at them in their life. And the encounter that they experience with Jesus on the mountain is actually the answer to Jesus' prayer. Jesus knows what they need. He knows they need to experience something and he prays it into reality. And here's a truth for you tonight. Jesus cares about where you're at. Jesus knows what's ahead for you and he's committed to preparing you for that. He's committed to giving you these key experiences, these key moments in your life that will lead you into whatever is next. He's always leading us forward, but he's giving us these moments that will carry us through to them. And we know this because Jesus is praying. He's praying for these guys. We're going to talk about what happens next, but that's what I want you to remember as we step into this passage, that this, this, everything that is about to happen is the result of Jesus praying. So that's our first interpretive key. Jesus is on the mountain, he's praying, and he's brought, he's not alone, he's brought these disciples to show them something. And so the, 
in second interpretive key is, is a word, and the word is glory. Jesus wants them to see something. He has to show them something. We see this in, in verse 29. Listen to this. This is what happens as he was praying. The appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. Not just white. Did you notice that? Not just white, but dazzling white. So this is something that's, this is a visible thing that's happening. Jesus is there on the mountain and he's praying and um, something glorious is happening to him. The disciples were told they're, they're heavy with sleep. And this is what they wake up to. Have you ever woken up out of sleep to something surprising? They woke up out of sleep and Jesus, one of, the, one of the gospels describes him as his clothes were whiter than you could ever bleach clothes. In the book of Mark, that's the way they describe it. And his face is shining. Now this, this would be something kind of interesting to wake up to. And this, this event that we're in right now is, is referred to as the transfiguration. Now the word transfigured is, is, the, is the Greek word that we get our, a word metamorphosis from. And it's a verb. And, and the verb refers to an outward change that comes from within. That's the way the gospel writers describe what's happening to Jesus. An outward change that comes from within. Here's what's going on. The veil is being removed and Jesus' eternal nature is being revealed and put on display for these disciples. It's not so much that he's changing in front of them, but that his true nature is on display. I think we have John uh, chapter 17, verse 5. Do we have that back there? Can we put that up on the screen? Jesus is, um, in the gospel of John at one point, is, is praying to his father. And listen to what he says. He says, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So here's what's happening. Jesus knows that these disciples need to see him as he truly is. They need to see the fullness of his beauty. They need to see the infinite greatness that he is. He says, I'm going to take you on the mountain and show you something. This is exactly what they need. But the scene is, the scene is big. I want to, I want to stay in this scene of what, what's happening on the mountain. So I don't know if you do remember that there's a few characters on the mountain when we read Moses and Elijah. This is a weird story. I'm just going to tell you right now. But Moses and Elijah are there. How do they recognize that it's them? I don't know. We don't, we don't know that. But Moses and Elijah are there. And this scene is, is looking backwards in some way. So Jesus, and, Jesus is dazzling white. There's light shining out of his face. And, and Luke's reader is supposed to consider this. Centuries earlier, before, before this event, uh, in the book of Exodus, there was a guy named Moses who went to the top of a mountain. And at the top of the mountain, Moses pleaded with God. He says, show me your glory. Show me your infinite greatness and your beauty. He pleads with God, I, I need you to show me this. This is in Exodus 33 and 34. You can read the story. And God responds by saying, 
Well, when my glory passes by, what I'm going to do is I'm going to hide you in the cleft of a rock and cover you as I pass by, because if you see my face, you will die. That's intense, right? Have you read this story? It's an amazing story. And, uh, and so this happens to Moses. Moses has this experience of the presence of God, and it describes Moses after this experience. It's God, he doesn't see God's face, but God goes, goes by, and the experience is so radical. It's so... Um, it's so real that his face is actually glowing when Moses comes down from the mountain. Now think about this. We're on the mountain again. Think about this story that we find ourselves in. Jesus is on the mountain, but now it's Jesus' face, which is dazzling white. Moses' face turned, is, is shining because he's reflecting the glory of God, but something different is happening to Jesus. I love the way Tim Keller describes this moment. He says, Moses had reflected the glory of God as the moon reflects the light of the sun, but Jesus produces the unsurpassable glory of God. It emanates from him. Jesus does not point to the the glory of God as Elijah, Moses, and every other prophet has done. Jesus is the glory of God in human form. These disciples needed to see the glory of Jesus. They needed that to go forward. That's actually something that we all need to see in our faith, in our walk with God. There's, there's a great um, man of, of, of the Bible, Paul. And Paul has, has an epic experience with Jesus. I don't know if you know the story of Paul. I know some of you may. We've studied his writings here, here at our church. And, and Paul is on a mission to, at one point in his life, to basically imprison and kill all the Christians. And then God basically blinds him with light and says, actually, I'm going to take over your life right now and change everything. And Paul gets saved. Paul gets drawn into relationship with Jesus. It changes the whole course of his life. And then Paul wrote these words in 2 Corinthians 4, verses verses 5 and 6. I want to read these to you. He says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. Now listen to this. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. These disciples, they need to see the glory of God and what they see is the glory of Jesus. They awaken to that. Jesus knows this is what they need. They're not going to make it if, unless they see my glory. And the same is true of us. We're not going to make it through life unless we have a vision, an encounter with the glory of Jesus. We need it. That's the way the the, the scriptures tell us the, the walk of faith is. You need to see the glory of Jesus. Now, we may not see it the way. I know at this point you might be kind of jealous of of the disciples' experience. But you need to see the glory of Jesus. 
Have you ever asked God, like Moses did all those years ago, show me your glory? We need to pray that. We need to ask that. That's, that's what Luke is stirring up in this passage. It's, it's that they need to encounter God. That encounter is going to be the glory of Jesus. But there's even more that they need. This, this passage like never ends with the depths of its riches. So I want to keep reading to you. In, in verses 30 and 31, it says this. And behold, two men were talking with him. Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. It's this really interesting turn in, in our story. So our, our, our passage is apparently about something that the disciples need to see, but here now, there's something they actually need to hear. Did you notice that? Like in the midst of all of this um, epic glory and, and Jesus' face is, 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 is shining and his clothes are white, they're dazzling white. In the midst of that, Jesus is having a chat with Moses and Elijah. They've actually come to have a conversation with him. That's our third interpretive key tonight is, that, is the content of their conversation. Jesus brings these disciples up on the mountain because he needs them to hear something. He's having a conversation with the saints of old and they are invited to listen in on it. Do you ever listen in on conversations? I hang out in coffee shops I can't help it. Like, I don't want to listen to these conversations, but you get stuck in the middle of them. And then that's usually when I leave. Like, like just two days ago, I'm sitting in, in a coffee shop and I'm studying and I'm pouring over these words that are so important. And then there's a group of, of six moms and they're sitting around a circle and they're talking about a soccer camp they're putting on and they're arguing about whether or not they can afford to get the kids water bottles for the soccer camp. I'm not kidding you. I'm sitting here trying to pour over the glory of Jesus and they're talking about water bottles. I picked up my stuff and I walked out. You know what I mean? We get stuck in these conversations that we sometimes don't want to listen in on. But we also love to listen to conversations. That's, we live in, that's like the podcast era, right? That's what, that's what we do. Like, what are you podcasting right now? What are we asking? We're saying, what conversations that other people are having are you listening to? You know what I'm saying? We, we love to listen in to other people's conversations, to what they're talking about. And Jesus needs his disciples to hear this conversation. So what are they talking about? It says, it tells us in, in our passage that Moses and Elijah, all this epic things are happening, but they're having a conversation and they're speaking about Jesus's departure. Now the word departure is a big word. Certainly that th this, this word is referring to Jesus's death, but here's something that you need to consider tonight. The word departure is literally the Greek word exodus. So Elijah and Moses, Moses comes to Jesus to talk about Jesus's exodus. Now the exodus is the most pivotal event in the Old Testament. 
This is, this is when God miraculously delivered the Hebrew people from over 400 years of oppressive slavery. And the Exodus was an act of God where with a mighty hand, he, he literally leads his people out of slavery and into the promised land. That's what an Exodus is, going from one place to another. And that event was led by Moses. And here, Moses shows up to talk with Jesus about his exodus. Amazing. Moses is there and Elijah is there. Now, Elijah in our, in our story, Elijah rep- represents the prophets. Elijah is often considered to be the greatest prophet. And, and the prophets' work um, in their lives was to look ahead and to prophesy that one day a Messiah would come. That one day a Messiah would come who would lead an even greater exodus than the one that had defined God's people for so many years. And here's Jesus and Moses and Elijah, and they're talking about Jesus' exodus. Jesus is going to lead an even greater exodus. Well, how's he going to do that? How's Jesus going to lead this exodus? Well, it goes right back to the words that Jesus spoke in in chapter 9, verses 22, when Jesus said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. The exodus that Jesus is going to lead, that, that these disciples need to know about, that exodus is going to be his cross and his resurrection. That's the way he will lead people out. That exodus will not just be for one people group, but it will be salvation that reaches to the ends of the earth. And they need to know this. Moses and Elijah, they, they're these figures and they're there in this glorious moment and they represent really the entirety of the scriptures and the most pivotal moment for God's people. All of those things are actually uniquely pointing to Jesus, to his, in particular, his death and his resurrection. And that's why they're there. They're pointing to Jesus And that's what the scriptures are doing. You may be, again, you may be thinking, I want to experience something like the disciples experience, but you don't have their experience, but you have their Bible. Do you remember? We we read um, in John 1.14. Can we put that up on the screen? Do we have that? This was our call to worship today. Do we have that? Am I going to have to turn to it? I'm perfectly comfortable turning to a passage of scripture, John 1.14. Here it comes. Oh, it's there. Okay, let's just read it together. That's what we're doing here. This is from John. Now, John is, is in this moment. Does that make sense? Peter, James, and John. That John said this. This is the first thing he said in his gospel. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And look at this. We have seen his glory. What is he saying? He says, I've seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. When you open the Bible, 
And I seriously mean this. When you open the Bible, you are encountering the glory of Jesus. The entirety of this book is is written to magnify the person of Jesus. That's what's happening in our story right now. These disciples are learning that, hey, everything that the prophets said, everything that we learned in the law from Moses, hey, the most pivotal moment in our history, all of it has been pointing to this person, Jesus. Some of my greatest spiritual experiences, some of my greatest encounters have been not, not, not like weeping in a chair. That was a real moment, weeping in a chair, feeling and sensing the love of God, but it's been opening the scriptures and God saying, this is my son, Jesus. Do you open the Bible seeking that kind of encounter? It's, it's what the disciples needed. It's, it's, it's how Jesus is, is moving us forward. It's, it's the content of the conversation that is happening is who Jesus is, his death and resurrection, and all of the scriptures point to that. And there's one more thing we need to see tonight. At the, at the end of our, like our, the story gets weird. And, um, and at the end of the story, it's actually God himself who defines what to do. And, and I'm gonna call this fourth interpretive key, the command to listen. You might want to write that down. But here's what happens in verse 33. I want to walk through the end of this passage. So we've got Moses and Elijah conversation, amazing things happening. And it says, And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Not knowing what he said. I like that. Peter doesn't know what he's talking about. There's, there's two types of talkers. There's people who have something to say and people who have to say something. You know what I mean? I'm usually the people who have to say something, but Peter's like, I don't know what's happening, but I got to say something. I got to say something about this. And and, and then I just want to show you what happens next. Like Peter says this, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He doesn't know how to interpret what's happening in, the, in his life, but God himself does. And this is what he says. As Peter was saying these things, this is in verse 34. As Peter was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them and they were afraid. As they entered the cloud... And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. God defines this divine moment for them. He says, I'm going to tell you what's happening right now. God says, what you just witnessed was Jesus, the son of God, the chosen one. This is truly an amazing encounter, but there's a command on what to do. And it it actually comes in a very simple way. God says, listen to him. Do what he tells you. That that word, listen, it's more than just hear what he says. It's, It's the kind of hearing that produces faith and obedience in someone's life. God is saying, this is my son. 
do whatever he says. Go wherever he goes. Wherever he's leading you, that's where you're supposed to be. All of this comes together. Now, now Peter wants, I think what Peter's doing is Peter wants to capture this moment. He's like, this is a great thing. Let's make some tents. Now, this is all Old Testament language. Peter, Peter wants to capture the moment. And so he says, let's, let's, let's make three tents. And that's, that's the language of the tabernacle, which is where the presence of God was housed for God's people. And Peter's like, this, we're, we are in the kingdom of God. This is the best thing ever. And let's just stay here on the mountain forever. If you come next week, you'll see that Jesus leads them down the mountain to a boy who's literally foaming at his mouth because he's oppressed by an evil spirit. So what's up with that? It's that we can't live on the mountain. Peter wants to stay in this experience forever, but Jesus is going to take them into the valley where there's work to be done. And Jesus is going to take them even further than just these miracles and these occurrences that will happen. They're on their way to Jerusalem where Jesus' exodus will be accomplished through his death and his resurrection. Do you see what I'm saying? Peter wants to stay and Jesus needs them to move forward. That's, that's why I think we have divine moments in our life. It's so that we can move forward in faith to Jesus. One person said this, if you fail to hear and obey the word of Jesus, the vision of his glory will not last. Not true. If you fail to follow Jesus after we've after we have these experiences, these encounters with, with Jesus, if we fail to listen to him and to follow him, the the the, the vision of the glory will, will fade away. And so at the end of our, of our story here, Jesus is, is calling, will, will you follow me? Are you listening? I love, you know, the, the, the passage simply ends in, in verse 36 by, by saying that they said nothing about these events after they happened. But later on, at the end of Peter's life, he talks about what happened. Peter, at the end of his life, gives us the insight that we need of what was actually happening in these moments. I want to read this to you tonight. This is from 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 13. Peter says, I, th I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, now that word is exodus. Peter says, after my exodus, you may be able at any time to recall these things. And he goes on, he says, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. 
Peter's at the end of his life and he proves that this moment, this encounter that Jesus gave him, he proves that it was fulfilled in his life. Peter is literally, quite literally, about to take up his own cross and follow Jesus. And he knows it's coming. Peter's talking about his own exodus. And he's saying, what gave me the strength, what gave me what I needed to get to this moment, and even on to the next moment, is that I saw the glory of Jesus. I want you to think about that tonight. When we encounter the glory of Jesus, who he really is, which is seen supremely in his death and his resurrection, we begin to receive what we need to follow the way of Jesus. To be led by him all the way to, through whatever he has in store for us. Jesus knows what you need tonight. Jesus knows exactly what you need, and he's going to provide it for you. I believe that, that you should come on a Sunday night and you should expect to encounter the risen Jesus, the glory of Jesus. I think you should expect that. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know what kind of emotional moment you'll have. I don't know if you'll have one of these you know, clearly divine moments, but you should live your life in expectation that God is going to give you what you need. And then after we receive that, it's the call. Will you follow him? Will you listen to him? Will you go wherever he is going? That's what Jesus, I think, is speaking to us tonight. So we close your eyes and let's take a few moments and, and pause and even reflect on what we've seen Father, we know, we know in, in, in increasing measure, we know that you will give us what we need. These disciples, they, they needed something from you and you provided it for them. Lord, I, I want to pray for my friends here tonight. I want to pray that you will give us what we need. That you will give us a vision of Jesus even as we come to the table right now to remember his death, Lord. Wake us up, Lord, to his glory. Wake us up to the freedom that we have in Christ. Open our eyes, we pray. I pray that as our, as our eyes are open, as we are paying attention to our lives that you will also help us. Father, would you also help us to listen to your son, to go where he calls us to go, to worship him with all that we have. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.